Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 313, Karen Tidback. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. This week, I'm without Christy. Christy Cherish is in Seattle, right on the tail end, right on the heels of me being in Seattle. But she's in Seattle this weekend for PAX or Penny Arcade. So she's doing some serious video gaming this weekend and taking a break and we'll see if she actually listens to this episode but just so you guys know from a personal reading standpoint now that i'm finished with all of the hugo reading i'm actually reading christie's novel owl in the japanese circus so shh, don't tell anybody but i'm reading that and then maybe i'll review it with her on the show at some point but she's in seattle and next week we'll have her back on the show We'll have a little of a discussion about the Hugo Awards, which I'll touch on a little bit here in a moment. But we'll we'll have more of an in-depth discussion of Sasquan and the Hugo Awards and some of the internet fallout, if you want to call it, or internet discussion about it. But I'm going to wait for Christy to come back before we have that conversation. Before I move on to this week's show, I hope everyone had an opportunity, and if you haven't, definitely check out episode 312. And if you have checked out episode 312, I hope you enjoyed our guest host, our special guest hosts, Rob Matheny and Philip Overby and their discussion with Victor Milan, a little grimdark conversation. And one of the things Christy and I have talked about from time to time, I you guys should expect to hear Rob Uh, on the show a little bit more often. I know we're going to do a few joint interviews with Rob and then have those gentlemen back from time to time to either do a takeover like they did with episode 312 or just fill in on occasion. Uh, But we'll look forward to having them. The other thing you should expect is we want to make sure that the episode mix is right. And this is Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. We've been trending a little bit more fantasy of late and particularly with the grimdark episode uh certainly uh more in the dark fantasy but you should be expecting to hear some more science fiction episodes here in the coming weeks and months so that's something we're very conscious of is that we want to make sure that we're incorporating science fiction obviously in adventures in sci-fi publishing so you should i'm not going to reveal any guests at this point but you should definitely expect to hear a few science fiction authors more to come anyway today we have the next to final interview from archipelagon which is, uh, as you all might recall, a Nordic science fiction and fantasy convention. And contributor Greg Palachi was kind enough 
to conduct these interviews for us a couple months back. And it's particularly timely because of the 2017 Worldcon bid that was just announced was awarded to Helsinki, Finland. So these were conducted in Finland and Greg does a great job. And today's interview is going to be with Karen Tidback, a Swedish author. So definitely stick around and check out the interview with Karen Tidbeck. It's a little on the shorter side, very brief interview, but uh, packed with a lot of goodness. So I was talking a moment ago about the Hugos. And as I mentioned before, I'm going to hold some of my comments until Christy gets back about this past week ceremony and Sasquan, which was absolutely a blur for me is I think we've talked about on the show. I was a late, very late arrival because I made a promise to my wife and I had committed to her. We've been waiting to see the Foo Fighters for years and for whatever reason had not seen them. And I double booked myself and we had tickets on Friday night and I ended up getting home from the concert about 1 a.m. my time and getting up about 4 a.m. to catch my flight and traveled for 13 hours until I made it to Spokane at about 3 p.m. local time, which is actually two hours behind my time zone. And from there, it was get cleaned up, have a quick meal with Tim Ward and some friends that we happen to catch, some viable paradise friend or one viable paradise friend that I happen to catch out there. And it was on to the reception, the awards themselves and the post party. And by the time it was all said and done, I had been up 24 hours. So it was a bit of a whirlwind Saturday. And despite our personal rough showing during the awards, I had a wonderful time during and after and before the event. I just had a a wonderful time. Like I said, I caught up with Tim, you know, especially during and the awards and after the awards, Tim and I spent quite a bit of time, made some new friends and was able to catch up with some old, particularly on Sunday. One of the highlights of the trip was I was able to see on Sunday, you may recall the guest we had on several months ago, Fonda Lee, with her book, Zero Boxer. And I ended up periscoping a good portion of her reading from Sasquan. So that was certainly a highlight of the trip to get to meet Fonda in person. I absolutely adored her book. And then uh, I was obviously, by the time I was really getting there, most everybody else was leaving so i ended up turning the the rest of the convention you know i obviously caught up with a few folks on sunday but when it once everybody was departing on sunday i ended up turning the rest of the the, my time there into a bit of a writing retreat and i needed that solitude to to do that so that was certainly something i enjoyed very much was to get back into writing personally one of the things out of this process i wanted to do though because i had mentioned that you know we had a rough showing but i was also knowing you know and if if you've been following what's been taking place you know how the voting uh went down from particularly no award being a a strong statement of protest from a lot of voters uh within fandom and for those of you that exercised your your right to vote, no matter how you voted, whether you, you know, you voted for us and uh, saw through the madness and thought we were worthy and gave us a, a vote, believing us to be Hugo worthy. I want to thank you for that show of support. But even then, for those of you and, you know, who are in fandom and decided to make a different decision. I think something Kristen and I'll talk about next time is talking about the respect that folks have for the process. 
you know, I just want to thank everybody. If you're a listener of the show and you decided to participate in the process, regardless of how you decided to vote. And I know we had some individuals that reached out to me personally and said, Brent, you know, I'm a listener of the show. I respect what you all do and I respect what you put out as a product. But ultimately, uh, as a matter of principle, I have to vote a different way and I can I can respect that decision as hard as it is for us to hear that message sometimes. So regardless of how you voted in the process, if you listen to the show, that's the kind of support we want and and feedback back to us is we're extremely grateful for that feedback. So I just want to thank you the listeners for taking time to participate again in that in that process. So I know a lot's going to be uh, has been said about the Hugo Awards will continue to be said about the the Hugo Awards and I'll wait for Christy to come back but I will tell you that this topic will certainly be we won't beat a dead horse but the topic will certainly be a component of the show for the remainder of this year and into next year and it I don't know how it can't be because any of you you know who listen to the show regularly know that I'm from Kansas City and the uh, Mid-American 2 is the Worldcon destination for 2016. So it's in my backyard. It's in my hometown. Uh, we'll plan. And I had some conversations at the Losers Party, you know, before the Losers Party and during the Losers Party, had some conversations with the con runners. And you can expect to have them on our show through the course of next year and, and be able to talk about what we can expect out of Mid-American too. So I'm really looking forward to those episodes. But in the meantime, if you have some thoughts about either our Grimdark Takeover or the, the Hugo Awards, feel free to, to come by the, the site or stop by our social media channels and definitely drop us a line or even send us an email. Definitely drop us a line and let us know what you think. So until that time and until Christy's back and we'll be together for episode 314. Everybody take care. This episode is brought to you by Cracking the Sky by Brenda Cooper. Award-winning author Brenda Cooper's first science fiction-only collection treats readers to human stories about the future. In Cracking the Sky, meet a physicist who searches across timelines in a desperate attempt to travel across them herself. A young woman who tries to recover the magic of a trip on a river with her grandfather. A young couple who suspects their neighbor's child is being raised by robots. And many more. Publishers Weekly says about Cracking the Sky, This capable collection of hard SF stories focuses squarely on world building, from the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. to the far reaches of space. Cooper works hard to center each piece on a way that technology has influenced human lives. Those who love technology-driven stories will find a lot to like. And James Van Pelt, author of Strangers and Beggars, calls the collection a masterful blend of hard-edged speculation tied to insightful evocations of the human spirit. To learn more, come to the show notes and click on the image that you'll see for Cracking the Sky by Brenda Cooper. In fact, we're giving away a copy of Cracking the Sky, U.S. residents only. To enter, email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com or share a tweet or Facebook post. And be sure to tag us so we see the entry. Hi, this is Greg Pelagi for Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing from Archipelagon in Mariaham, Finland. And today I'm speaking with Karen Tidbeck. She's an author from Sweden. Hi, Karen. 
Hello. How are you? I am fine, thank you. I just came off a panel, but um, I'm all right. Okay, excellent. Uh, and what were you speaking about? We were talking about uh, various forms of storytelling, so uh, all kinds of fiction, from written fiction to computer games, LARPs, uh, choose your own adventure, film, all that kind of stuff. Excellent. And you are a storyteller yourself. And what do you write? I write, well, I, I write fiction, and when I do, it's usually called weird fiction. I also write sometimes for transmedia and uh, live-action role-playing games. Excellent. And so what are some examples of books, uh, short stories, or even games you've written for? I think books are probably the easiest ones to find, and uh, the, in, the, in the Anglo world, uh, what you would find is my short story collection, Jagannath, and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of short stories published here and there. I believe uh, Jagannath was uh, last year available in the story bundle? Yes, yes it was, the Vandermeer story bundle. Purchase it, it was an excellent read. Ah, thank you. And so I can recommend it to all our listeners. Uh, you've also had uh, stories published in Weird Tales, number 358? Yes. And on Tor.com? On Tor.com, yes, that's true. And uh, what were those titles? I can't remember if Weird Tales was, if that was Jagannath the story, or if it was one called Augusta Prima. I think I published both of those in Weird Tales, but different issues. And you've also been published in the Best Science Fiction and Fantasy of the Year, Volume 7, which was for 2013, mm -hmm. and the year's Best Dark Fantasy and Horror, 2014. What were those stories? I'm going to confess that I don't remember <laughs> because I've had I've had a number of short stories published in various best of anthologies now and I can't remember which one goes where. Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess it's the curse of being a prolific author. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, it's a delightful problem to have. I'm not complaining. <laughs> you said that your work gets considered weird. Mm. Why is that? Probably because it doesn't really fit into any other definitions of science fiction or fantasy or horror. I sort of move between the categories. Uh, so it's mostly been classified as new weird or just weird. Or this, as we, we uh, I was on a panel with uh, Johanna Sinisalo yesterday, and we both sort of realized that Nordic weird is probably a good definition for it. Okay, then what differentiates Nordic weird from new weird? I think Johanna said last night that Finnish weird is the new new weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about Swedish weird, but it has a, it has to do with the cultural backgrounds. There is we we did find out that we have a lot in common uh, when it comes to our cultural backgrounds, the way we write, um, the themes we choose, and so on. And uh, I think that's the best way to make the distinction that what I write has a very distinct Scandinavian background and maybe not rooted as much uh, in what say would you say that new weird has some roots in Lovecraftian fiction stuff like that I'm not going to get into that discussion because uh, people will destroy me yeah I don't I don't want to get into the discussion either because I'm just a writer I'm not a connoisseur fair enough now when you are writing are you writing in English or Swedish Mostly English these days because it's uh, I have a bigger readership in English. So I, I've written a couple of short stories lately in Swedish and then translated them into English. But I prefer writing in English. Why is that? Because I don't have to do the translation work. And like I said, most of the stuff I write now I publish immediately in English. And uh, there are quite few opportunities for publishing this kind of fiction in Swedish. 
Does writing in Swedish elicit a different feeling for you than, say, writing in English? The languages have some basic roots, you know, they're both Germanic languages, but beyond that, their structures can be quite different from what I know of Swedish. So when you're working in one or the other, what's the decision for that language? Usually the decision, I, what language I write in, is mostly just decided on where it would be easier to publish. But there are some very distinct differences between writing in Swedish and English, and I think the biggest part of it is the fact that Swedish is my native language and English isn't. So I have a very instinctual relationship to Swedish. I will be aware of the cultural connotations of each and every word. And uh, I don't have the same relationship to English, seeing as I'm not a native speaker. And it takes a lifetime to learn a language like that. But do you have ideas? Are they germinating in Swedish or English? Or is it solely you come up with something visual in your head and then you're like, okay, this would sell best? It really depends. If I get an, uh, if I get a commission in English, for example, uh, I usually start out by writing nonsense. It's sort of how, how I get going. I fill notebooks with um, just automatic writing and nonsense. If I'm if I'm writing something for an English audience, I'll just start in English. If I have a commission for a Swedish audience, I'll start in Swedish. But most of the most of the story it is, if I don't have a commission, if I'm just writing for myself, I'll usually start in Swedish. When you're writing, are you planning this out ahead of time or do you tend to write, as we say, by the seat of your pants? I am a panther. How does that work out for you when you have a commission? I think better with my pen in my hand than I do uh, trying to plot something out. Plotting a story or drafting it up before actually writing it has never really worked for me. My own experience is that it kind of kills the story before it can take off. So. Uh, I'll write an enormous amount of drafts and do it intuitively and then I'll go back and structure it after the fact. Is that because the weirdness that is inherent in your work needs to be fluid and not constrained by, oh, I need to hit point A, B and C, or is it something else? I think it's mostly just a matter of how I work. It's kind of messy and it's time consuming, but I haven't really been able to find any other way uh, that works for me. You mentioned that you also write for games. Which games have you written for? Mostly for live action role playing games and some transmedia projects. It's, uh, I, haven't really, I haven't worked for any of the big companies or anything like that. I mostly work on the level of um, collaborative storytelling and participatory fiction. Um, so it's mostly um, a question of um, ephemeral storytelling, I suppose you could say. It's for one game or maybe a few games and then it's over and it won't be used again. And are you a player yourself? I am. I am a gamer. What do you prefer to play? Live action role playing is always, has always been the closest to my heart. And I should probably make a distinction. What I do is called uh, Nordic Lop, which is, as I've understood, not quite the same as uh, like North American Lop or British Lop or whatever it is. Uh, it's focused on storytelling and immersion rather than uh, going on adventures, as it were. So that's uh, my that's that's the thing that's the closest to my heart. And I, but I also play computer games. I am a huge fan of the Mass Effect games. In your adventures as Commander Shepard, uh, what was your favorite part? Oh God, what was my favorite part? That's really hard. I hated the first game. I mean, I love the story, but I hated the game mechanics. What about the game mechanics uh, annoyed you? 
The Mako, okay. having to drive the the vehicle. It's and I don't I, I don't know what what it's like to do on a PC. I play it on a console, but on a console it's just horrible. It handles like a drunk cow, and it almost ruined the whole game for me. It was the same on the PC. Yeah, you hit a rock and you go flying. I'm a huge fan of the second and the third game, uh, and uh, it was it was an incredible experience just playing through all three of them and then getting to the ending. Obviously, the extended version, not the first one. It was just such an amazing story arc. Were you happy with the ending? I was okay with the extended version of the ending. Uh, I think it kind of, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy to have Commander Shepard end up as a sort of space Jesus. Okay. Well, you're not happy with the ending, are you? No, I, I've yet to encounter anyone that shares my opinion, but I, I felt the end of Mass Effect kind of undermined all of the relationships he was building because he, as you say, kind of went forward and just became Space Jesus. And so he, as a commander of, you know, an army uh, of his own squad, you know, is sacrificing all these people, but at the same time, like, he's still the one to save the day. And so their sacrifice, I felt, was undermined. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I can go along with that. But then again, I, my relationship to these games is very uncritical and very emotional. So I, I haven't really analyzed them in depth. Well, that's just my background in humanitarianism. Like, you're wasting people's lives when he could just walk out there and do it himself. <laughs> this is true. And I just, uh, by the way, I just remember what my favorite bit is, which is the Leviathan uh, add-on. Have you played that? That was the one bit of DLC I never got. It's brilliant. It is like the it's the best DLC I've I've found. Uh, is that because it has that weird element to it? That kind of you're fighting a cracking Cthulhu type beast. Yes, it's got the cosmic horror ancient civilization, and I just I live for that sort of thing. Do you write any cosmic horrors in your own work? Do I write cosmic horror? Uh, I suppose sometimes yes, but not on not on that kind of epic scale. And do you ever bring it into the games? Well, I usually when it comes to games, uh, I usually write on commission. So it hasn't really been my job to choose uh, what scale to do it on, or if if I haven't really been able to bring in the cosmic horror as such. What differences do you find that between writing for games and writing short stories or novels? Well, it's um, first of all, you're writing something that's going to be torn out of your hands and uh, demolished by some other player, which I kind of love. <laughs> writing for games for me is it's a very interesting experience. It's so dynamic because all you can do... Well, you create this material, uh, but it's not the end result. It's just the basis for someone else to tell a story, which I absolutely love, which makes me not the author, but it makes me a co-creator. And uh, the story can take just any shape or form. It can go anywhere. So that's one of the, one of the main reasons that I love writing for games is that element of uh, co-creation. Are there any shared worlds or other IPs out there that you would love to write for? I don't know. If you got a chance, would you write for Mass Effect? Yeah, I totally would. I absolutely would. What are you working on at the moment? I'm working on a novel, which I can't really talk about, um, because it's something I'm... I, I don't really talk about works in progress, but I'm working on it, and I've got some short stories in the pipeline as well. Back to the Nordic weird, and the, well, you being from Sweden, how does that play into your game's writing? 
I think I usually end up pulling in the Ingmar Bergman melancholy and angst into when I into games when I write for them. There was this game called um, Celestra, which was a uh, Battlestar Galactica LARP. They basically took they took a ship, a destroyer, and they outfitted it on the inside to be a spaceship. It was brilliant, and it was high-quality stuff. Outfits came from people who made the outfits for the Battlestar Galactica TV series, so it was, it was epic. And I was, among other things, tasked with writing a group of Marines. Being who I am, they became the, they became the Ingmar Bergman Marines. Everyone was really neurotic. There was a lot of suffering and you know, dysfunctional relationships and maybe not a lot of marining. Or were they sitting around playing chess a lot? No, no. It was more a question of unrequited love and stuff like that. No chess. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm not the one that's disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> this epic game on a boat. I. How do you top that i mean do you think you will be able to ever participate in, or, or contribute to anything as you know fantastic as that again well there's stuff happening there's stuff happening all the time i haven't really been into uh, i haven't written for for LARPs for a little while because i've been so busy working on other stuff but i mean there are games nordic larp is is sort of getting bigger and bigger by the minute and um, not sure if you heard about it but there was this harry potter larp um, taking place in an actual castle in Poland, complete with uh, very expensive special effects and story and uh, everything. So uh, I'm pretty convinced that something else will come along that might be even more epic than Celestra. You mentioned earlier that there's a difference between Nordic LARP and North American or even British LARP. What do you see as the difference? Well, I only know from what I've heard from from American, North American LARPers and British LARPers, and we've sort of exchanged what do you do and what's the difference between us, etc. And as far as I understand, uh, Nordic LARP has more of a focus on collaborative storytelling and immersion rather than rules or combat or anything like that. So I think that's it. I haven't actually, I haven't actually been to North American LARP. I would love to go, uh, but I don't really have the funds to go, sadly. It's not exactly cheap flying to the States. Now, what have you learned in writing for LARPs that you have taken to writing for short stories and your novel that you're working on? Writing for LARPs gives you, it gives you a lot of practice in writing backstory and how to present backstory in a way that's easily digested. It also teaches you a lot about writing, about writing characters. That's probably the most important thing I've learned is how to write uh, fully realized characters and then make them work. So I suppose a lot of, a lot of my prose is very character driven and that definitely uh, has to do with the fact that I come from live action role playing and role playing. How do you balance, you know, in a story the need for a main or maybe at most a couple protagonists compared to live action role playing where you know there, there's going to be that inherent ego that every player wants to have some major role to play so how do you balance that in your writing for a larp i think at least with the larps i've worked with they've been uh, ensemble shaped as in there will be uh, there won't be any main characters as such, but the the characters are the structure is small ensembles of players who work together 
and have equally important parts in their story. And then they will have relationships to other players who sort of, it will be a fractal shape rather than uh, a game with few main characters and then everyone else is a sort of supporting player. So I don't really see that as an issue. When you're writing the background and you're writing, you know, the story, are you having to try and balance the need for every character to have something awesome to do or happen or is a cool element to their character? Oh, everyone needs to do something awesome. They absolutely need to feel that they are the protagonist in the story. It is really, really, really important because there's nothing more boring than to end up at a LARP and realize that everything in your character is, uh, that all your character does is serve as a supporting cast for someone else. And is this something you've experienced being a LARPer? Oh yeah, absolutely, lots of times. So for others out there running their own games, what suggestions do you have to them? When writing characters, all characters need to be the protagonists of their story. And uh, that's the, the structure of having a few important characters and some less important characters is really, it's not really relevant anymore. It's not so much fun for the players. And uh, I think that an ensemble-based cast works a lot better, both for the player's well-being, but also for the story. And how do you balance that with a need for a greater story arc? Good question, because players are always going to show up and bend the story out of shape, aren't they? I think the, the games that I've worked on have, a lot of them have had a very loosely outlined main story, as in it, it's, it's been a story arc that has been, it hasn't been vulnerable to change, as it were. It, it works uh, even if it's changed beyond, beyond recognition. Well, where can we find you online? You can find me uh, on my homepage, which is karintidbeck.com, which is the easiest, easiest place to find me. Any social media? I'm on Twitter as well as uh, ktidbeck. Okay, excellent. And any uh, of your works that you'd like to promote? Uh, there, there are things coming out, but it's, um, it's too early for me to announce them, sadly. Okay. But there will be stuff and I'll brag about it on my homepage. All right. Well, then, your works that are already published, where can we find them? You should be able to find Jagannath just about anywhere that sells books. And you can also find some of my stories uh, over at Tor, Strange Horizons, Lightspeed, and Weird Tales. And there's also a complete biography, sorry, bibliography, uh, on my website where, with links to where you can find everything. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. For Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, this has been Gregory Pelagi from Archipelagon in Mariaham, Finland. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast.